0: Welcome back to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Duff McDonald, along with my co-host, Matt McButter. Our guest today is nothing short of a rock star. Her name is Anna murnix Duffield. She is the lead singer, banjo player, and guitarist of the Toronto-based band Beams, as well as the guitarist and backup singer of the Toronto-based band Ace of Wands. We've had drummer Jody Brummel on the show, as well as the guitarist and backup singer of the Toronto band, The Fern Tips. She's also an arborist. She collects information about trees around development sites and makes decisions about which should be saved and protected. In other words, she knows her way around a chainsaw and what she calls the art and science of tree care. Joey and I saw Beams play a few weekends ago at a delightful little venue in Catskill, New York, called Avalon. And the show blew my mind. Anna doesn't only shred on banjo and guitar, but her voice is angelic. The harmonies she achieves with Beams singer Heather Mazar are soaring. And her connection to the rest of the band, Mike Duffield... Uh, drummer Mike Duffield, who's Anna's husband and who's got a great last name, Craig Moffat on bass, and Martin Crawford on guitar was spectacular. I immediately canceled what I was doing the next day and drove down to Queens to see them play again at an outdoor show at Culture Lab in Long Island City, and that show was stunning as well. But enough about me. Welcome to the show, Anna. It's a delight to have you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for the intro. At the present moment, traveling town to town, the mystery of the motion, right here, right now, right here, right now.
0: So uh, we saw back-to-back shows, like I just said. They were amazing. So you guys uh, have um, uh, stage presence, whatever it is uh, musicians call it. You guys are clicking, uh, coming out of COVID, coming out of a long break. You just completed a tour uh, of the uh, U.S. Um, What's it feel like to be back on stage after such a, a hiatus? Does it tickle again?
1: Oh, yeah, it tickles. Than ever, I would say, it, we're just so grateful to be able to do it uh, together. We were working on projects kind of throughout, but to actually be going out and playing for our friends and and you know bringing our sound waves to new places is just amazing.
0: And um, I ask this just because a uh, as a Canadian in the U.S., uh, all of us who have crossed the border several times. Ask this almost instinctively. What was it like getting across the border?
1: Well, that has been—we've been crossing the border for a year and a half now, making our new record with Kevin McMahon in New Paltz, there. And the rules were always changing. Uh, it was—it just became part of the the dance of the adventure. <laughs> so right now. It's pretty much back to the normal hoops of having to have our visa and like having to have our carnet processed, which is our basically our customs declaration. So we're used to it not being easy.
0: But it's getting easier. That's good to hear. Yeah. Uh, So um, let's talk music. You guys put out a I met you not long before covid right? with with uh, Saw you playing with the Fern Tips and then later saw Ace of Wands, uh, but hadn't really gotten a taste of Beams. You guys put out a wonderful album during quarantine called Ego Death.
1: Oh, thanks. Yes, and, I
0: did. And, and, you know, I don't want to turn this into a downer, asking about the border and what putting out an album during quarantine is like, but what <laughs> was putting an album out during quarantine like? Was It, it must have been a little challenging.
1: You know what? It was actually the best experience I've ever had of putting out an album. (laughs) It it was awesome Um, because, well, for one thing, there were no real expectations. Uh, Just the fact that we were doing it was something that we could just, you know, be grateful for and proud of ourselves for. And there were no time constrictions, like there was no tour booked. So we could take as long as we wanted getting it all together, getting the art together and going over the track listing a million times. Yeah. So it was relaxed in that way. And then another thing that I had the luxury of doing was I was able to be on social media messaging people all the time. Mm -hmm. So leading up to the release, I just, Heather and I must have direct messaged like, 500 people, which, and no one really was out doing things. So we had, it's probably sounds a little bit weird to say, but a captive audience for our release. <laughs> <laughs> so it just felt like we really had people's attention and they were really grateful. It gave me something to do. And we had so many band camp orders. That it was just like a complete athletic event, you know, putting them all together and delivering them. And we just felt super loved. It was amazing. It's probably the opposite of what you would expect.
0: A lot of bands that I follow uh or subscribe to some kind of uh updates. Uh, I found myself on bandcamp a lot during quarantine. Uh, I get the feeling that that. Uh, site was kind of a savior for uh, you know a lot of you who aren't Beyonce was that true <laughs> Did it sort of come up out of nowhere and 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 serve a purpose that hadn't been served before?
1: I think that it found its stride. Like we've been on Bandcamp since I think 2013, uh, but they really stepped up during COVID when they waived their fees, that kind of created this, like, how do we help artists? And then they were like, we're selling it for the best margin that you can get online for the artists. And then basically people just saw that and it clicked like, oh, this is how we can help artists. And it just took off from there. They just found their, found their groove and were maybe rewarded for their generosity, even though it only took Maybe put a dollar more or a dollar or two back in the artist's pocket per sale. It was still a very nice gesture, and their live streaming platform is really cool.
0: And do you? F- I feel like at least with some artists that I follow, that I feel more in touch with them. Like they send me emails straight from Bandcamp that seem straight from them. Like Josh Ritter is one. I feel like I'm almost in conversation with Josh Ritter from his Bandcamp stuff. Do you communicate more with fans through Bandcamp than you otherwise mm-hmm. would?
1: I don't know that our fans have picked up too much on it. I feel like still you Instagram is the way that most of our fans talk to us, but Bandcamp is a way to get really close to artists for sure. Because most people that have Bandcamp, I think, uh, deal with it directly themselves. Like, yeah, for their stats, they even know that the artist is going to be looking at it. So you can look at the graphs of your sales and then you can click on a certain thing and it turns it into a game of Defender where the peaks (laughs) are kind of mountains and the valleys are places where you can shoot the aliens. Cool. Yeah. Side scrolling. You like that,
0: a video game (laughs) built into your day.
1: They know that we need it when we're looking at that stuff. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh i want to talk about uh some of the music in a sec but i want to talk about bands first you're in you're in arguably three bands right now and while um you play guitar and ban- or banjo in uh, all of them um they're ver- they're different sounds right beams and ace of wands are not the same band And uh, Fern Tips I've only seen once. Um, How do you, as a musician, and this is asked out of complete ignorance, how do you shift from the style to the style to the style? How do you not sort of not remember which band you're playing with when you're in the middle of a solo?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, most of my parts are written, but what I guess I don't get, too thrown off track by how different they are because I listen to a ton of different music and I just enjoy writing parts that serve the the song that's being presented to me and I love playing in different acts that sound different because it allows me to express my creativity in different ways like I also play backup guitar rhythm guitar in a power pop band And it all just kind of like shines light on different dusty corners of the room. That is my creative being, you know, sometimes my creative being wants to just play really fast power chord rips. And sometimes my creative being wants to fill an area with like fuzz phasery soup. You know, it's just such a blessing that I can actually do all of those things. And have my own writing as
0: well. So as a songwriter, I was trying to figure out how I would describe your songwriting. And I came up with, it feels like you are a seeker in song. Or at least we're hearing, uh, you know, you're reporting back uh, <laughs> on the seeking. And um, Ego Death felt, uh, feels, it feels like a really optimistic album. I feel like you and I were in a, a very similar space in um, the early quarantinish ish mm-hmm. uh, stuff, and you guys have recorded but not yet mastered another album that's coming out soon called Requiem for a Planet, mm-hmm. which uh, feels like you got pulled back into the muck a little, mm-hmm. um, but then... and it moves from sort of moody masterpiece stuff to more optimistic at the end. Can you describe for us the transition from ego death to Requiem for a Planet and sort of what was going on in your head in the writing and stuff?
1: For sure. So I never quite know what it's going to be like until it's all recorded and I'm putting the pieces together of the puzzle. But ego death, was definitely, I think about it as this, um, thing that one of my friends who's recovering from alcoholism talks about the rosy glow of sobriety. Um, where you're just in love with all your new abilities to think and feel and experience joy after being so numb for so long. And that's kind of where ego death was coming from. It was like, the experience of being stuck and then facing the demons of the stuckness and then experiencing the freedom that came like from the truth of really meeting those demons and a flower blossomed is like a celebration.
0: It's such a wonderful song. It makes me so happy. Every time you sing that lyric, a flower Ah. blossomed in my dream. It's amazing.
1: It makes me super excited about flowers too it's great when a song can kind of be also remind you how great something in the real world is that you see all the time. And then Requiem for a Planet. I really didn't mean for it to be um, kind of an inside out ego death, (laughs) but my writing is always just a reflection of where I'm at. And I guess, I guess the rosy glow sort of wore off and I got, sucked back into some questions, um, some existential questions. Requiem for a Planet is actually a title that Jody uh, came up with mm. from Ace of Wands. Which planet? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> so Childlike Empress is the song that leads off the album. And I always had this image of basically an empress approaching an intergalactic tribunal. And I guess she was away on some sort of mission, probably a democratic intergalactic mission. (laughs) And while she was away, she saw two, I guess, bodies collide And in the aftermath, her planet was destroyed and she realized she everything that she thought made up who she was and where she came from had been obliterated, Um, which is, I guess, how I've been feeling about my sense of identity, because part of ego death, it is kind of a real death in a way Mm -hmm. you lose what you thought made up your identity. and in the moments where you don't know what's gonna be on the other side, it is frightening. So, so it's the death of of that planet, the death of the inner world. But as an environmental conservationist, I'm also very tuned into the way that our physical planet is suffering. So it could also be taken to be kind of a tongue-in-cheek pre-requiem for our planet with some options left to reflect on whether we want to actually be in the situation where we have a requiem for our home planet. But yeah, so hmm. so basically it's like a slightly more ambivalent, less strictly positive, more getting honest about the, the death part of ego death sort of album. <laughs>
0: And you're the, the producer and the mixer, Kevin what, McManus, is it?
1: McMahon,
0: yeah. McMahon in Rosendale. Uh, we saw him uh, just last weekend, he, his um, uh, collective pelicans. Or was that the name of their, their performance?
1: Um, they're called Pelican Movement.
0: Pelican Movement. And they played in this beautiful cave under Rosendale. His, uh, his, um, uh, sound aesthetic is a little, um, murkier than I would say historical beams Mm -hmm. and the first half of the, of Requiem, you can sort of feel, uh, uh, that murkiness in the sort of permeating the stuff, uh, before it, it does rise in the end into a, uh, if it's, it, To me, at least, it feels like a um, rising—I don't want to say mood, but uh, momentum or uh, something—to the album. And but definitely, there's like less of your finger picking banjo. There's less um, uh, of—I would say—straight up guitar solos, um, and more of a. uh, It's definitely a different kind of sound for you guys. Do you like what what came out of that?
1: Yeah, I think it's beautiful. I was I was endeavoring to write more simple sort of songs. I think I used to kind of skirt the issues. I w- used to not write very directly. And with this, I was really trying to get a bit more direct. But having more simple songs, I felt like the sounds themselves needed to be more textured mm-hmm. and have a bit more depth to them. And I feel like Kevin and I really had a shared vision sonically going into it that we never really discussed, but it just, as soon as we started making sounds, I knew that it was turning out exactly how I wanted it to.
0: That's awesome. Matt, you were just, you just saw some good live music, right?
1: Red Rocks.
2: Mm. Church. Who'd you, who'd you see? Saw uh, War on Drugs was the headliner. Oh. And then all opened up for them. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it came as advertised. I'd been wanting to check out that venue for years and years and uh it just mind blowing. Like I, I really was stunned the entire time. You know, you're just, you're, you're watching the, you're watching the music, but you're also just like looking around and uh a pure state of bliss it was amazing you looked
0: you looked a little stunned in w- at least one of those photos. Oh, I was very. I, <laughs> I,
2: I was very stunned the
0: entire time what yeah, t- no, it, was, it, was, it was good. Anna, what's your favorite venue that you've played?
1: Oh, I really love uh the horseshoe tavern, I would say it's an old classic, yeah. But my bucket list definitely has Red Rocks near the top of it. Red Rocks and Massey Hall. No MSG.
0: MSG. We could do MSG. Um, Avalon and Catskill is a delightful little venue for being in the middle of a a podunk town in upstate New York. They had great sound there. Speaking of which... um, I've always loved uh close harmonies like I really gravitate to all that stuff especially from mid-century um but I am not sure I have ever enjoyed any uh harmonies as much as yours and Heather Mazar's. Wow. And um I wanted to know how you guys found out that you could do that. Where did that partnership even come from? Where did you discover her? Where did she discover you? And how did you figure out how to do what you do? Oh,
1: that's a great question. Well, we actually used to be in Keith Hamilton's band. Keith couldn't make it to the Avalon show. Um, He had some kidney stones. Uh, He's never backed out of a show before, and he usually wouldn't unless it was very serious. So he had his own folk choir called Hamilton Trading Company, and that's where I met him and Mike and Heather and all the rest of them when I moved down to Toronto from Brampton. But one day, Heather and I were standing beside each other in the choir, and Keith had this song about zombies that everyone had to kind of freeform, do some creepy ooze, melodic sort of ooze and we standing next to each other could hear that we were listening to each other we could hear that like when she was going up i was going down and you know after the show we were we came together and we were like that was really cool how we were listening to each other i really like standing beside you and singing so when i put out the call to start beams or I basically just put out a call on Facebook for people to come over and jam. She was like, "Can I come over and sing?" And I was like, "Yeah, of course. Let's see what that's like." And that's where it started.
0: It's really wild cuz when you're so in Avalon, if you're not looking at the stage, right? Or looking at specifically at either of your mouths like singing, you get the you get the harmony. But if you focus in on uh, either of you, you can actually hear what the same thing that you were just talking about. You can hear the interplay between you guys. It's mesmerizing to watch. It's a, it's just amazing.
1: Cool. She'll be glad to hear that.
0: Heather's great. Yeah. Uh, okay. So doing some research, um, you guys have made a not small amount of music videos and um, apologize for my age or something. I did not know that was still a thing, that <laughs> band would regularly make videos. Is that something you still do even with Requiem while you throw a couple together? And is it all YouTube now?
1: Yeah, it's all YouTube. I don't even know how someone would get a music video on MTV. I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. But it's always occurred to us, while like it doesn't have any immediate financial returns, visuals we're a very visual species and it helps describe the world that the music is happening in yeah it helps let the listeners know where we're coming from so it's weird it's one of those yeah investments where it doesn't have any direct return but everything helps give what we do context and it's fun it is fun
2: I, it must be fun or no it's not it looks well fun.
1: It took me a while to figure out how to do music videos. I actually had like a mental breakdown during the filming of I wanted to tell her because I just felt so on the spot and I didn't have any idea how to act.
0: It, is that the one with you in uh, in the, like puppetry?
1: Mm, it's no, that's black. That's black, Sorry, yeah. that's black
0: shadow. Sorry. That's black shadow.
1: That has Puppet Me. That didn't require any actual acting on my part. No, it's the one in the train with my dog. and All right. Yeah. And the director was like, aren't you having fun? Like, why are you being so weird? Like, you're not supposed to be crying on a music video shoot. <laughs> and then he was like, I'm going away till you figure this out. So I was like, okay, well, what if it's as simple as the camera lens is the audience now. And he was like, well, fine, you can try that. I hope it's good. And then, yeah, that basically was the, the change where music videos started becoming fun for me. <laughs> I like cracked the code. Before That's that, it, it was like a little stressful.
0: That's interesting. Like early on in my career, I was on uh, the news a lot because I covered the stock market. So it was on TV, like CNN, FN. You know, um, I would
2: record it sometimes just because it was so novel.
0: Just <laughs> like, doing uh, stick uh, a tape and, in the
2: VCR and, and record Duff on like and CNN, and, FN or something.
0: If if you Ooh. if you thought about sort of who might be watching or the if you the sort of abstract things that could get stressful, and it was only when someone told me one day they were like, "Look, dude, you just got to think about it as you." talking to the person who's talking to you mm-hmm. right and just get out all the other stuff out of your head and i was like oh so then suddenly going on a tv set was d- didn't make me nervous at all anymore It was just like going to talk to someone so it's just a shift of perspective that's interesting totally. speaking of music videos though you own a snake right is that snake still alive and well i yeah, saw it in great. i saw it in the video the other day what's her name gertrude and what what kind of snake is she?
1: She's a corn snake. I got her off a Facebook uh, trading group.
0: Matt, you ever owned a snake?
2: No, I, I had lizards though, um, nice. way back in the day. So I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm familiar with the, uh, you know, live, live feeding. Do you ha- do you feed? Have to do any live feeding?
1: No, I feed her thawed frozen mice because, and this is a good PSA. Live feeding may have its morbid entertainment value, but it also (laughs) presents the opportunity for the snake to get injured
0: by the mouse's claws. So you're protecting the snake, not the victim. My live
2: feeding was crickets. I just, you know, for the record, it wasn't rodents.
1: I had a gecko before and (laughs) yeah, the crickets, it's a weird thing where it's like a whole food chain because you have to keep the crickets alive and then you use the crickets to keep the lizard alive and,
2: my mom was always worried that the crickets would like escape and, you know, be just all over our house. We, we had a cricket the- in <laughs> our
0: house like uh, two weeks ago for oh. about a month in the kitchen. Yeah. No. One cricket makes a lot one, of noise. One cricket. He it was, it was a maniac. And at first I tried to root him out. And I was like, hey, you know, what am I going to do? It, it, you know, put him outdoors. Maybe, he, maybe he's gone indoor now. Um, I've
1: never felt more murderous than when I've had a single cricket keeping me awake.
0: <laughs> so um, in, when you played in Queens at Culture Lab, uh, an excellent show back-to-back with the one from the night before, you did play in Queens. You played Running Up That Hill, which I now see that you guys released as a single in 2015 and it seems like the original uh, singer of that song has come back and and stolen it back from you. <laughs> um, uh, you do a wonderful version of it. What is it, how are audiences uh, responding to you playing the you know one of the more popular songs in the country, but you know by some measure.
1: Well, I mean, it kind of goes back to giving a song visuals that I was saying before. I feel like people have a deeper connection now to it because I don't know if you've watched
0: stranger things with Marguerite, watch the uh, whole thing.
1: When I saw it, I was just on the edge of my seat, like visually. And with the story, they described what I've been trying to describe and maybe what you've been trying to describe. Just like you have the monster's hand over your face. He's like choking you out and you're trying desperately to just like, remember something beautiful and choose that over the monsters you know grip and I feel like now that people kind of know that that's what that song's about or what it can be about they're like getting even more emotionally excited about it and so am I so I don't really watch the audience too much while we're playing Heather does that more but I'm usually kind of like distracted by trying to Play it and sing it, and there's usually lights and stuff. I'm not sure, but it feels good. Feels. Oh, good. it was
0: amazing! It was outstanding. And Craig uh, broke
1: his string when we did it, so we had to do it as a duo, which we've never really done before. So that was that was interesting.
0: The improvisation worked. Uh, yeah. Wouldn't have kno- wouldn't have known it wasn't planned. Um. <laughs> so, um. I just bought a 16-inch Milwaukee electric chainsaw. Congratulations, and,
1: Milwaukee's great. Uh, great got poison. Brand.
0: Got poison ivy. The first time I used it, I cut down a tree. And Joey told me afterwards that she said, "Watch out for that." That's the biggest poison ivy vine I've ever seen running Whoa. up that tree. I didn't hear that and proceeded to uh <laughs> like slice that, right through it, and it <laughs> yeah. was like it's like this big. So, I, wow. from what I can tell, what happened is I got poison ivy all over the blade and then basically sprayed it all over my body. And every oh, no. time I was dealing with a chain. So, when we went to England uh, in August, I had the worst case of poison ivy I've ever had in my life. Wow. Uh, but I was trying to be very zen about it. Uh, what's your uh, chainsaw of choice?
1: Well, I like the steel for power. The Husky has good torque, but. Usually, I would say the steel is what I have the most experience and do you with.
0: are are you the person who we're looking at who's up a tree on lines, cutting off branches with one hand?
1: Oh God, no. I was trained before I got in the trees to always keep two hands on the saw. I've never been in a situation where I couldn't position myself to use two hands. I can see a couple situations where like, if you're in a bucket truck, you might need to,
0: but
1: generally two hands always chain break when you're not making a cut.
0: Which I was was schooled on that when she was (laughs) recently here. No, we, we had these guys take down these dead pines in our yard, um, last year and he was leaning out of the bucket doing one handed chainsaw acrobatics. Nothing looked dangerous. He was a maestro. But it was sometimes just amazing in the bucket,
1: yeah, if yeah. you're not if there's not rigging set up, yeah, okay. sometimes that happens, but mostly you should never do it that way. It's very dangerous,
0: so um, Anna, beams for me is um there you guys are uh, that c- kind of band in a couple of categories for me that make me very happy. Number one is there is always at least one, if not, probably. Of uh, three, four to half a dozen songs that really tickle me on every album. It's that's a thing that some artists can do. Uh, some artists, you'll get an album and you'll be like, yeah, no, I'm not in on this one. A- every single time. Um, I was looking through some of the other ones Black Shadow from Gutters in the Glass. I wanted to tell her from Teach Me to Love. Sweet Tea, Born to Run. A Flower Blossomed from Ego Death. On the new one, uh, which listeners, unfortunately, you can't listen to yet. Is it called All Around You or All Around?
1: Mm, it's called
0: It's All Around You. It's, but- it's it's All Around You, which brings me to my other thing. Your lyric writing is a joy, Every, like, especially because you're someone who rocks out a lot. So sometimes, especially live, it's like, I can't quite hear what's saying, and then I do tune into a lyric. And there's so much poetry in it. Um, And you are an ocean in an ocean is uh, that one. I was like, oh, my God, I know what she's talking about. I think Um, lighter than a hummingbird in flight off the new one. It's all around. You reminded me of the Sturgill song. Have you heard that one
1: Mm, all around you? No. Is it about a similar thing?
0: It's about love being all around you, but I think it's not, um, you know, any similarities would end there. Uh, both are, both are beautiful songs. Um, and also just, um, the banjo, we can finish with that. Like, uh, one of the best things about seeing beams is when you are up there, uh, finger picking, um, like a maniac on the banjo, where, where did that come from? How did you become a banjo player? And what what's the, and you're also a guitarist. Can you tell us the difference between playing the two?
1: Well, I started playing guitar when my older sister uh, won a classical guitar like as a door prize at one of her high school events. Uh, somehow I gravitated towards playing it and I learned how to play guitar in guitar class at my junior high school. One of the things that we learned how to do was read tab. And the other thing we learned how to do was learn a couple of finger picking styles. So we learned like Blackbird um, by the Beatles. And I kind of took those two skills and taught myself a few more songs like Angelus by Elliot Smith. And I really love iron and wine. So I taught myself a few iron and wine songs. So I started a band in high school with a girl named Katie Plant and she got really into old timey music and really wanted me to learn how to play banjo so for christmas one year her she and her siblings got together and bought me a banjo but unfortunately we never figured out how to amplify it and Katie played the drums really loud so we never really used it in our band but then when our band ended i kind of picked it up and just wanted to change from guitar So I just kind of, I already kind of knew how to finger pick. So I just kind of spent a year getting used to the weird weight distribution of the banjo and just got on the banjo train for like six years. But then when Heather started the fern tips and needed a somewhat lead guitar player, I started to get back into it and I started to use guitar pedals and it kind of opened me up to like the vast array of sonic landscapes I could create with the instrument.
0: Oh, okay. Okay.
1: And it felt kind of like an old hug, like even an old hug, yeah, because that's what we like about hugs—is how old they feel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Even the way the guitar is shaped, it just like cradled my body again in this beautiful, familiar way. So, and I could just dig in and be louder than ever before. So it just felt like it felt like coming home, and I've really enjoyed being with. The guitar again and the sustain it's like i can hit a note with the right pedals on and do all this other weird stuff like jump around and do back bends and just like express myself in these other ways that with the banjo i'm a little more locked into constantly creating the sound so i don't know it's fun having both but i'm definitely back in love with the guitar in a real way
0: either way either one in your hand i love the uh beams live shows it's so good Thanks. So um, thank you for joining us. This is wonderful. Listeners, check them out. Um, Requiem for a Dream. Requiem for a Planet is coming out when? Possibly? It's coming
1: out as soon as we can either find someone who will help us put it out or whenever our patience runs out, whatever the sooner is of those two, hopefully by the end of next year.
0: All right. And in the meantime, <laughs> uh, you got ego death to tide you over. It's a beautiful, beautiful album, uh, as well as their back catalog. So thanks for joining us, Anna. It's been great.
1: Thanks, Steph. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Anna.
0: I uh, love Anna. Um, love her music. And stuff, and just sort of wish there was a way we could make our listeners experience the the songs. uh, In addition to interviewing her, so go listen to Ego Death on Spotify if you're inclined. It's a really great album. Um, imagine that being in three bands. That's like having. And she also has a job, so you're she's got like three side gigs going. Have you ever had two side gigs going?
2: Yeah, I do. I do right now.
0: What do you have? What do you got going right now?
2: <laughs> well, there's how to tickle yourself would <laughs> be one of them,
0: right? Okay. And Beat right. Right.
2: bead seeker is another. <laughs> I mean, I've. I mean, yeah, I've. I've got side gigs upon side gigs. Um, you know, yeah, I. I've always had like too too many things going on at at any given time.
0: There, um, but I like it like that. There, uh, you can. I don't know if you can hear them in Sweet Tea, but the harmonies with her and Heather Mazar are simply um, amazing. They're worth seeing for that reason alone, but also just a really um, fun band live. Mm-hmm. And we love Anna. They ca- Their band, the whole band stayed here with the night that they were um, playing in Catskill. And then we saw her and Mike again when they came down for this thing in uh, Rosendale. Um, such great people. Um, and it's so, it's great to be so close to Toronto because they do come down here mm-hmm. um, and play different venues around here uh, numerous times.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, now that I'm, now that I'm in the know, I will be checking out Beams and uh, I've been meaning to get to an Ace of Wands show for, for a while now. So I will be checking out Ace of Wands as well.
0: If sure. you're listening, Jody. Yeah. He's just committed to that. So oh,
2: I'm, I'm committed. I'm committed. I will go. I like, you know, one of the ways she descri- She was like, you know, her different guitar styles going from band to band. Um, I like how she said, uh, you know, sometimes I just like to rock out with some. I think she said fuzz fatory soup. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I that I get that.
0: In, in I like and and Ace wants to. Those girls rock uh, with Jody um, uh, providing the locomotion. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, it, no, it's a great band too. I love them. I saw them right before, uh, quarantine in Kingston, actually. It was the last show I, I saw before quarantine and, um, uh, no regrets about that. Cause it was, uh, also an amazing show
2: in your Kingston,
0: in our Kingston. Yeah. At a place called BSPs. Uh, okay. So I've got one for you. I'm not sure whether it totally qualifies, but it's just such a great word uh, I was reading some Oriabindo the other day, and he used the word any wither.
2: Any wither. I'd, I don't know if I've ever used that word.
0: Right. It's yeah. And you know what it is? It's like a sophisticates version of anywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, it, and And it means towards any place, in any direction, or to any place, so you can say, "Oh my God, these guys don't know where they're going. It seems like they could be going any whither." Yeah.
2: Which, <laughs> yeah, I, it's anywhere, right? <laughs> yeah.
0: So good if though. you're afraid it's to try one. it out, I'll do it. I'm not afraid. I'll let you know when I work it into conversation
2: i might I might put it in the clip and. You know, fire it, fire it on some occasion. I don't know.
0: Next like thing it. you know, it's going to be in a beam song lyric if Anna's still listening here.
2: So I have a question for you, actually. You, you said you used the term podunk town. You said some podunk town. Right. What's that? What's a podunk town?
0: Have you looked that up while, before you asked?
2: No, I have not looked it up. I OK, just...
0: so here we are. This is from Oxford Dictionary. A hypothetical small town regarded as typically dull or insignificant.
2: Some. So yeah. I did
0: not mean to insult Catskill in that way. Uh, no. I, w- I was going with small. Uh, small. Right? It's small like.
2: Miscellaneous town, too, right? Like you meant a small.
0: Like Duntroon is a podunk town. Eden. Right, It's mm-hmm. small without people would be like, oh, is that near Creamore or is that and places that are defined by more by what they're near than what they are.
2: Yeah, like a crossroads.
0: Yeah, or just a, you know, place you're passing through if you're a <laughs> high plains drifter, right? A,
2: ha- a hayseed town.
0: Uh, Sweet Tea has got this great um, thing because in it they're clearly driving in the band bus across the country she stops about one and talks about wanting to get out and feel the ground um they must have passed through a lot of podunk towns uh (laughs) in that van
2: we've played every podunk town between
0: yeah uh, there you go winnipeg and Although it may may be a little insulting so small town yeah
2: we're not it's all in in how you use it right i mean i came from a podunk town armitage ontario so. It's
0: a, it's all in how you use it, which yeah. can that be applied to everything in life? It's all, it's, it's all in the, in the, in the use. All right. So let's, before we wrap up here, um, Joey also saw, um, uh, Beams play in, uh, Catskill and surely has some different thoughts on, on what's going on on stage and, and Anna and Mike and the rest of the band who, who were here and hot tubbing. Uh, so, um, Let's see what the Sage of Sages has to say about this uh, excellent, excellent, excellent Toronto band. So here we are again with the Sage of Sages, Joel Moss. Welcome back to the show, John
3: Thank you, Duff. I'm happy to be here.
0: So um, I think I told you in 2020 I saw uh, Anna play with her other band ace of wands at bsp in kingston and and at the end of that show i was like i finally got it i finally got it uh i said the same thing to you at avalon when we recently saw beams there um did you get it while you were watching the show
3: i don't re- well i don't know really i thought they were beautiful and um and Anna, every time I see her, I like her more and more. And every time I see the band, I like them more and more, and appreciate the talent that's there. Like they're they're all really talented people. And Anna's voice is just beautiful, and I love that she plays banjo.
0: And um, I'm a big fan of the harmonies with that she does with Heather. Uh, what do you think of that whole uh, setup on stage?
3: I love it. I think you. I've always. Appreciated liked it but I don't think I knew what it was necessarily a close harmony and it's like it's like one voice but very like one very full voice it's gorgeous
0: unity and multiplicity you might say
3: (laughs) you could say that
0: and then we uh we went with Anna uh, recently she didn't play but we saw that show in the cave and outside Rosendale how was that for you
3: Uh, one of the coolest venues I've I've seen a show in for sure. It's, uh, um, that place was stunning. Um, a little scary for some, you know, but, uh, beautiful. And the acoustics were wild.
0: And, um, you've had, uh, the entire band beams stay at your house. Uh, are they welcome back here, uh, after their behavior?
3: They were great guests. They were wonderful. And they're welcome back for pancakes anytime. Thank you, Jogi. <laughs> Thank you, Dev.
0: All right. So, I am going to close today with a riddle. And it's not Oriya but it's uh, Ramesh Balsakar. Um, he... I don't think he made it up, but he was just quoting it in one of his books. Um I think the only way to live or another one. I've been on a reading a, a tear of him these days. So I got a riddle for you, Matt. You ready? I'm in. What is it that is greater than God and more evil than the devil which the poor have and the rich do not need and which will kill you if you eat it nothing bang is that it
2: yes okay <laughs> <laughs> wow i uh it, it's funny i i, I was on to nothing after the first after the first two right um you know like greater greater than God and and more more, evil
0: than the devil. Yeah. More evil
2: than the devil. I was like, it's gotta be nothing. And then, and then it, and then it worked through. Yeah.
0: I love, I love the, it will kill you if you eat it. It it will kill you if you eat
2: it. Yeah. I I did the test on that one and I was like, okay, (laughs) that's it
0: for sure. There we go. Full points. Uh, thank you for listening, uh, once again. Um, and we will be back with you in a week with another show. Bye bye
3: After present moment traveling town
1: to town mystery of the motion right here right now right here right now
2: You've been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of the Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck Labella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C-Media.com.
3: My love, my dear